the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, April 6th. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, we'll be looking at the implications of the Panama Papers leaks and Pfizer's decision to pull the plug on its $160 billion merger with Dublin-based farmer rival Allergan. Don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, which is also available from our website, irishtimes.com. We'll start, first of all, with the Panama Papers. Since Monday, a series of stories based on documents leaked from a law firm in Panama have exposed the offshore holdings of current and former world leaders, celebrities and sports stars, putting further pressure on offshore jurisdictions. It includes a number of Irish registered companies and some high-profile individuals, including Anglo-Irish Bank, Sean Quinn, Frank Flannery and property developer Ray Gretton. On Tuesday, it claimed its first major casualty when Iceland's Prime Minister Sigmundur David Gunnlaugsson resigned following revelations over an offshore company that he and his wife owned. This all followed a year-long investigation by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, including the Irish Times. And joining me in studio is Irish Times legal correspondent Colm Keena, who worked on the Panama Papers, and Jim Stewart, Associate Professor in Finance at the Trinity Business School. Colm, we'll start with you. Tell us the, the background to all of this. When did it begin and how long before you uh, realised precisely the nature of the revelations? Well, it um, it arises from a, le- a, a massive leak um, to Suddeutsche Zeitung, uh, to reporters in that organisation, and then they shared the data with the International Consortium of, Consortium of Investigators. It's the German publication. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, in Munich, and uh, and uh, they supplied they supplied the information to the ICIJ. And where did in the leak Washington, come from? DC. We don't know, and. Um, the ICIJ then contacted media organisations around the world and uh, said, let's get going including on this project, Times. including the Irish right. Times, and let's start having a look at this. And it was evident from very, very, very early on that there were a lot of world leaders and associates of various ruling families. And, and Tell people. us a little bit about that. I mean, who's been who's been dragged into this controversy? Uh, well, you have associates of the Vladimir Putin. You have the... Uh, um, the former Icelandic uh, prime minister. You have the president of Ukraine. You have uh, Saudi princes, uh, princes across FIFA, uh, FIFA, North America. Or sorry, North African rulers. Some North African rulers. The family that rules Azerbaijan. You have um, people, sanctions busters. People who who, de- who traded with uh, Syria after the sanctions there. Um, you have FIFA. You have celebrities who, who are. Um, um, you know, like sports stars and so on. You have uh, people who trade in, in very, very expensive art, works of art. Um, you have. And you what know, precisely have we discovered? Well, you know, it, you could look at it one way and say, you know, nothing in this is surprising. Not one thing in fact is surprising. Everybody knew this. But uh, it's all your, your worst fears confirmed about what the offshore... Uh, seen hides so essentially these people the companies or individuals were using Panama and we discovered British Virgin Islands and maybe yeah. other offshore locations yeah. as well to hide their tax affairs yeah well no yeah and their assets um, essentially what Mossack Fonseca uh, 
offers is access to all these offshore jurisdictions. This is the law firm where the, yeah, the leak came from. It's basically their, their files come back 40 years. You can see mostly it's faxes or in the older case and then up to more modern day, it becomes emails and the, file, the, the leak goes right up to uh, late last year. So you, you see these faxes going between their various offices, Geneva, London, Panama, British Virgin Islands, Bahamas and so on. And uh, so what they sell is offshore companies and the services associated with those companies. And really what they, sir, they uh, sell is the ability of, for uh, people to make their affairs highly or almost entirely confidential. The, 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 the um, material includes bearer shares. So their certificate. Explain that to us. A bearer share certificate is a certificate that says the bearer of this share owns shares in a particular company. So if I have, if all the shares in in company A are, are if there's a hundred shares in company A and I have a bearer share certificate saying that that I, that the bearer has a hundred shares in company A, I own company A, so I can go into a bar and sell company A to you uh, over 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 the course of a few pints, and you can. But walk none of this is public. Nobody in the planet knows except us two, that that has happened. And right. So it's a way of company ownership. That's and that's something that operates hidden. in Panama and the British no, Virgin in Islands? Fact, it's still, it's, it's not out, it's not illegal. It, with Irish companies, the Irish regime is in the corp, is in, is in the, in the, uh, in the process of um, getting rid of it. It's, it's, it's being uh, closed so down. So could here as well? Well, it could, could theoretically. I think it's been, the, the, the process of closing it down began with the 2014 Companies Act. But it's very, very common, or was very, very common in the in the uh, in the offshore world. Then you'd have a nominee directors. They'd probably be staff members of Mossack Fonseca. They're signing all these documents, including granting people powers of attorney. So you might have some office workers in Mossack Fonseca giving somebody power of attorney to uh, operate and protect on behalf of a company, the ownership of which is known to nobody because it's. It's 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 shareholding is by way of a bearer share mm-hmm. certificate. So it's absolutely it's it's complete confidentiality, and that's really what these kind of companies, what Mossack sells, and you know it can be per- it's all perfectly legal, but of course it's it, it attracts people, kleptocrats, you know people who are you know sanctions mm-hmm. bustings, drug dealers. It it attracts all those sort of people as well as. You know, people so, who just don't want their sister or brother to know that they own. Have you any way of knowing how much of this is simple tax avoidance uh, and how much is a legal activity? No, no. In fact, you, you you couldn't put a figure up on the value of of what's going on because it's highly confidential. So when if you when you look at Mossack, one of the striking factors about about what's going Mossack's files is they don't really know what's happening with the services they're providing. You know, there's lots of companies where they don't really know what's going on because how could they with a power of attorney and uh, bearer shares and so on? There's no way. But another thing, something that is new in a way is that you can see the clients of Mossack tend to be um, professional firms and especially banks, the biggest banks in the world, Swiss banks, HSBC and so on. And so they're getting Mossack to set up companies for their clients. So given what we know about Swiss leaks and so on. It's a kind of a per- perfect yeah. brew, you know, where there's this global structure, uh, you know, providing this complete obscurity for people with in goods with these okay. banks. But it also includes, you know, Johnny and, and, and Mary and so on in, in the country towns in Ireland and so on, either directly or I'll indirectly. I'll come on to the Irish involvement yeah, yeah. in just yeah. a moment. I just want to bring Jim Stewart in on this. Jim, in your experience, why would people or companies want to use the likes of Panama or British Virgin Islands or any of these uh, offshore jurisdictions 
to locate companies and locate money? I think what Mazak Fonseca were essentially selling was secrecy. And that secrecy could hide lots of things, your taxation, ownership of assets because you wanted to pretend that you didn't know from your wife or whatever, your former wife, or it might be because you were engaging in illegal activities or sanction-breaking or whatever. So I think it was basically a secrecy jurisdiction. And that was that's why it's so interesting because suddenly the, lift, the lid has been lifted on a lot of this material and the links between other... Uh, secrecy-type jurisdictions such as the British Virgin Islands. Now, at the same time, this is only a fraction of what's going on. This is only one company. Okay, it's a, it's a, it was a fairly big player, but we consider company formation agents are operating in every country in, in the world and, uh, and, and in the British Virgin Islands or whatever. So it's a very significant, but it's only the tip of the iceberg. And to some extent, I wonder too of a question, is it kind of historical? Because you notice that the data shows that the number of companies registered through Masak Fansak has fallen and the companies uh, in the British Virgin Islands has also fallen. And I was wondering, has this activity shifted? Has it shifted to, if you like, onshore tax havens, as we might call them, uh, such as the Netherlands or Luxembourg, uh, the four OECD tax havens are sometimes called, which would include Ireland and Switzerland. Right, OK. But I mean, have we known uh, of the existence of these kind of firms and, and these jurisdictions as well for a long time? The authorities have known and they've essentially turned a blind eye, haven't they? Oh, no, you have, you have known, but that's the problem. It's a secrecy jurisdiction, so you could actually not get the documentation. So now we have actually have the documentation. So people, even when confronted with the documentation now, they seem to be saying, no, this is not true. So eventually they'll say, well, if it's not true, why is your signature on no, this? No, I appreciate yes, that yeah. the documents, you know, they implicate people yeah. and companies and so on. They yes. lift the lid on it if you like but essentially the US government the British government the Irish government I, I guess have known that these jurisdictions have been operating in this way for years and years and years they have they have indeed and in fact there was a, a very interesting book written some years ago by Nicholas Shackson called Treasure Islands and he argued that basically these these British dependencies crown dependencies were an integral part of the city of London that the city of London's business was very dependent on them for getting business and selling ideas to them so the thinking goes on in places like the city of London and in other financial centres, and the implementers are Masak Fonseca. I'm not sure that they really think of the complex tax strategies so that, 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 that have been engaged in. Yeah. Colin, let's talk about uh, the Irish connection here. You've uncovered uh, cases involving a number of individuals and, and companies. I mentioned earlier Anglo-Irish Bank, Sean Quinn, Frank Flannery and Ray Gretton. Um, talk us through those. Let's start with Frank Flannery. You mentioned him in your report in, in Monday's paper, a former Fine Gael strategist mm-hmm. uh, who's connected with this uh, through a property in London. Yeah, he he was in the middle 90s uh, chief executive of the rehab charity and uh, he moved over to London um, as part of that uh, organisation's uh, uh, drive to create business there. They were setting up a number of new enterprises which apparently they they worked very well, uh, included a lottery um, business. Um, he bought a house in Primrose Hill area of London in 1996. But the documentation in the files shows that the bank, uh, the Bank of Ireland private banking in London, which issued a mortgage for the house, uh, was using as part of the security um, a £250,000 lodgement with the Bank of Ireland in Jersey in the name of a British Virgin Islands company called International Funding Promotions Limited. Um, and you can see in the files that um, that uh, this, this uh, security was registered in the British Virgin Islands in relation to this particular house. Um, 
So I contacted Frank Flannery and he said he'd never heard of this company and he had bought the house using the Bank of Ireland and, and he, he, he he dealt with a Joe Holden in pri- Bank of Ireland private banking and he could remember this letter. He, he received the letter of offer for the loan and it was signed by himself and his wife and sent back. But he, he no memory of a second letter that appears in the files, which refers to the first letter and said the additional security will incl- include this off, uh, offshore uh, account. That letter, there's no copy of that letter signed by, by Mr. Flannery. But there is subsequent documentation uh, signed by Mr. Holden where he's negotiating the security over the offshore account with the British Virgin Islands company. And then it's being registered and the Brit- Bank of Ireland has taken interest in it being registered in the British Virgin Islands. So we don't know who owned the British Virgin Islands company. We don't know where the money came from. The, the company was set up um, in between the, this letter from letter of offer from the bank and the actual transaction. Mm. We don't know where the funds came from. I don't know what happened to the funds. Uh, Mr. Flannery says he bought the house with a 100% mortgage and he paid it all off some years later. Right. Is it a credible explanation in your opinion? Well, uh, I don't know. I just put out what I have there in the uh, mm. in the files and what Mr. Flannery says. So tell us about Sean Quinn. What's the involvement there? Well, the involvement there is that the family of Sean Quinn had um, an international property portfolio for uh, worth about half a billion euros. Um, the Anglo-Irish Bank, subsequently Irish Bank Resolution Corporation, sought to seize that when the Quinn Group and the Quinn Finances collapsed. Um, they got a share receiver appointed over the port, but they couldn't really assert their control over this uh, these assets in Ukraine and um, Russia. And a huge battle, uh, multi-jurisdiction battle ensued. And um, one of the actors in that battle was a company called Lindhurst uh, which is a British Virgin Islands company um, set up by Mossack Fonseca, and um, it made claims in the in the Kiev courts that it was entitled to debts associated with a shopping mall in uh, Kiev. Uh, debts of forty mall million. Was worth seventy million. Yeah, and the debt they were well, they were asserting are not a right to forty-four million dollar debt, and um, what the IBRC alleges in in. Um, a case that's pending before the High Court here is that this is all part of a conspiracy by the Quinn family to 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 um, frustrate the bank. What the Quinn family says is that they did set in train a conspiracy to subvert the bank, but they lost control of it, and that these pe- people who were so trying they, they to were get essentially double crossed, they were double crossed, and that these people who were behind Lindhurst, the the company set up by Masak Fonseca. Uh, are people who, who over whom they had no control? Um, you can see in the in the files of Mossack Fonseca that the the people who set up, who asked Mossack Fonseca to set up this company, uh, say it's in the ownership of a Ukrainian businessman. Yeah. Now we also find from um, these revelations that Anglo Irish Bank's Austrian uh, branch, a private banking branch in Austria, was used was recommended repeatedly uh, to clients by Mossack Fonseca. Yeah, like wh- one of the things I suppose that Offshore does or used to do a lot was to grant you uh, a, w- a way of getting around regulations and transparency and so on. And um, one of the things that you can see is troubling Mossack Fonseca and its customers as the years go by is the increasing banking regulations, know your client, all this due, 
diligence and so on. Where did the money come from, regulations and so on. And um, so you can see in the emails, customers complaining to Mossif Fonseca about the, the way they have to identify themselves. Uh, the ultimate beneficial owners have to identify themselves for accounts being opened in the names, names of offshore companies and so on. But the... Um, the uh, there's repeated emails in it where there's a list of seven or eight private ban- banks for for doing business around the globe that they favour that Mossack Fonseca favour and recommends to the company to the to the customers and one of them is the Anglo Irish branch I- in Austria. Uh, there's one email where they they say there's only one bank in the world, it's a bank in Hungary that they know that will still accept money from from without knowing who's who's behind the company or whatever. But it seems pretty obvious from the the emails they think that that Anglo Irish Bank in Austria is one of the more. Um, mm. What period are we talking about? We're talking about the mid noughties. The mid noughties. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. what became of this Anglo branch in Austria? It was it was sold by Anglo prior to the collapse of Anglo. Okay, um, Jim Stewart, did any of this shock you? Well, it did, but I must say, it's, what is so fascinating is the level of detail that has been discovered, that Colin has described. This is absolutely brilliant detail that we would never have got into the public domain at all. You might suspect what would happen, but to actually find out what's happening and have named individuals linked to a particular project and linked to historic events, events in the recent past, that's just so interesting uh, to discover and to be able to act on because you'd never get that. Without this leak, you'd never mm. get that information. You might suspect what's going on, but we suspect all sorts of things, but we can never, we can never get to grips with it. So in some ways, I, I think it's, it's not, not surprising, but still it is shocking to discover that very wealthy and very influential people have been using systems like this uh, in order to hide what was going on and to deceive people and to engage in deception. I think this is just so wrong. And it's not just tax avoidance, it's also avoiding regulation and doing huge damage to societies and I think to the the countries and the rule of law and all sorts of things because if so many people don't obey won't obey why should we do it and you know there are Mexican there's a Mexican I think drug lord who who was involved in this and apparently he's now free he's still on the the go the the thing is that there must be so many other what about the other Mexican drug lords what are they doing now Mm. they don't seem to have appeared in the the revelation so far but maybe you know maybe they're using some other system yeah what does it tell us about the facilitators of all of this the law firms the accountants the banks uh, who basically enable um, companies or individuals to set up these structures in these offshore jurisdictions? Well, I think that the problem is that there's a private logic which says, yeah, we should engage in this. Tax minimisation is OK, that avoiding regulation is OK. And that's the private logic of, ru- of running these things. But on a broader level, this is this is just such false logic because if... If so much of wealth is controlled in this way, it means that societies will eventually collapse because governments will not have the revenue to organise hospitals and schools in other ways, to organise police forces and all you, all you need, all the public services that you need and you take for granted at the moment. So it's very insidious in undermining so much of what we take to be uh, living in a democratic and civilised society. So I think it's, it's very dangerous and I think it's very difficult to know what to do about it because, unfortunately, one of the problems is that there are elements of tax haven-type activities have become embedded in how we think about industrial policy. So we think about industrial policy in terms of low taxes, special tax regimes, light-touch regulation, special... Even in Ireland, we we say we have a very flexible attitude to the needs of foreign investors in terms of corporate law changes, never mind 
taxation changes, corporate tax changes. And, and this basically means you have a kind of a dual tax system. You have one which is rule-based, that you and I, we must stick to the rules, and then you have one for international investors, and they have a system of negotiation. They don't like something, they have to negotiate with the revenue authorities. And there's a reason for that, is because it's so complicated, you have to discuss with the revenue, what am I doing, is this legitimate, what can I do about this? The, the difficulty is that they have far more resources than the revenue. The revenue, I think, have about 250 people in the large cases division. I think PwC alone have 500 professionals working uh, in, in this area, never mind the other big firms. So it's a very unequal struggle and on, unless governments get to grips with this issue, I think it will continue and I, I wonder, it's brilliant work that's been done, but I wonder is it just the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. and has, has it shifted? Colin, let's talk about the revenue here, just talk that they're going to take a look to see if there are any implications for any of these Irish uh, related entities or individuals, uh, what do you think? Uh, do they have the resources to conduct this kind of work? Well, I think well, there's two things about that. There, there was an earlier, an early leak, if you want, of some of this uh, uh, information in Germany, which the German authorities got, and um, they said that they would share it with revenue authorities. Had asked them for it. Now I asked the revenue here, uh, uh, did he have this data? And they said, well, we're not going to tell you one way or the other. But um, Presumably, if they haven't got it, they will get it. And they, and I don't know if the German revenue have this new mega load. Um, but it, this, this some, one of the things that's happening in the world, I think and it's a problem for offshore, is that technology makes these leaks so uh, so uh, easy and impossible. In fact, it'd be impossible without the technology. So you've had the Swiss leaks and Lux leaks and so on and, and other uh, leaks going on of this sort. And secondly, it's technology allows... Um, Organization, revenue organisations analyse the data in ways that, that, that wouldn't be possible. Um, so you, you need less resources. Uh, you, do, you know, you don't need te- armies of people going through millions of documents. You can do word searches and so on. Um, so I think the Irish revenue will get their hands on a good bit of stuff. Um, and, you know, so maybe something will happen. Maybe it won't. Who knows? Yeah. How long is this going to play out for? Are, are there many more revelations to come? Uh, there's a few more days of it left in terms of um, in terms of stories that are prepared and, and, and due to come out. But I think one of the one of the revelations for the journalists who are working on the thing is how big a reaction it had, and there's a feeling now that um, this is going to go further than we'd imagined, and and other media organisations are. Are applying for the right of access to the to the the, the um, data bank. There's no really huge traditional uh, American media organization, U.S. media organization involved. I don't know to be honest. Um, I think there were tic-tacking was tic-tacking with the New York Times uh, in relation to this and earlier projects, but they, they, did, they didn't get resolved. But I think maybe the New York Times might get might get access to this data now. And I think that could have huge implications because there are no major uh, examinations of American politicians or, you know, no revelations about that. So I think, uh, you know, this the, 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 the shockwaves of this could go on for quite some time, uh, political shockwaves, and it seems to be fueling um, discontent and, you know, mm. withdrawal of consent. Now, globally, there is a BEPS process which is underway, which is uh, trying to bring some structure and order, mm. uh, if you like, to the way that companies uh, address their tax affairs. Uh, where is that at, Colm? Uh, well, where, where, where it's at, if you ask the OECD, is, is that it's flying along and it's achieved 
an enormous amount in two years and uh, that it will be implemented by all the major economies and the major jurisdictions. And, um, and this is essentially to avoid a situation that we've had in the past where the likes of, let's say, an Apple or a Starbucks, they have uh, operations in maybe Ireland or uh, Britain, etc., which are drawing in huge uh, millions and millions and millions of, of revenues, but uh, at the end of the day, paying very little yeah, tax to that local jurisdiction. Yeah, and it's all the money is going elsewhere. In the same places, the British Virgin Islands, the Bahamas, the ones we've all been discussing. But I think they're getting closed down for those big multinationals by the BEPS thing. And you know, who knows what's going to happen? But I think there's, if I was a, a, a chief executive of a global uh, multi-billion um, um, a corporation, and I, I was concerned <coughs> with its medium-term future, I'd be extremely worried that, that if we don't get a, a global system that people are happy with, you know, are happier with than the one we have, political pressures will be such that individual nations will start asserting all sorts of, like the Google tax law of the UK and so on, they'll all start moving independently. And that's going to be a disaster for these global organisations. There'll be tax bills shooting in left, right and centre and they'll have to have an army of people out there trying to deal with all of this. It'll make their business operations really, really difficult. And as the OECD says, says, you know, your taxation department shouldn't be a profit centre. It should be, you know, pain in the butt bit of administration you have to do and you pay your taxes and you get on with trying to make your profits through your products and services. But at the moment for all these big um, big multinationals, the, the, taxation, the tax department is a profit centre and they're all busy trying to reduce their, their, their tax bills to zero and people are fed up with it. And I think the Panama Papers thing will feed into this and add to the anger and it, incre- it just fur- further destabilises the global tax treaty system. And um, so I think in a way, in an odd kind of way, revelations like the Panama Papers could actually give uh, added impetus to the political, the, what I think is the wiser political heads in the globe, that we, we, need a, we need a BEPS type resolution. Otherwise, we're just going to get... Jim know. Stewart, how confident are, are you that um, this BEPS process that's underway at, at the minute might actually bring some structure no, and order I'd, I'd to the taxpayers and multinationals? Because I think that while they they set off with very strong intentions, very strong intentions indeed, that profits uh, would be taxed where they were actually earned. But I think for one reason or another, their actual proposals as implemented were watered down considerably in a number of ways. For example, in addition to transfer pricing, I think it's nonsense to think of transfer pricing between a multinational enterprise such as Google or Apple or whatever as if they were independent companies. The subsidiaries were trending independently. But the OECD are adamant that they're going to stick with transfer pricing rules as in the OECD, the, the way the OECD described them. And my understanding is that that's under US pressure, under US administration. The US administration were adamant that the transfer pricing rules, as they existed, and I think as they have failed, mm. will continue to exist. And uh, ironically, um, you're more of an expert on this than I am, but I mean, on the one hand, we have the US government uh, giving out to the European Commission yes. for effectively picking on Apple and its yes. uh, the way it organises its tax affairs in Ireland. And on the other hand, uh, it's 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 claiming that uh, uh, these corporate inversions that are going on by yeah. US corporations into the likes of Ireland, that they're insidious. And it, it's also putting pressure on these offshore locations 
uh, and putting pressure on its own multinationals to stop basically locating in the Because the US government argued that stateless income is wrong. Is this not Apple? They've said retrospective taxation is wrong. That's exactly what they've done in relation to to lots of other things. And for example, in relation to inversions, they've introduced retrospective taxation. But I think just kind of make one other point too, Mm -hmm. that the whole point about permanent residence, I think that was a complete cop-out by the OEC. The definition of permanent residence is where are you actually located? It sounds like a very silly question. Where are you located? It's actually a very difficult thing to say. Where are you actually operating? And for some purposes, uh, multinational enterprises can decide we are located here. And other purposes, they can say we're not here at all. So Apple famously said uh, when they were asked by the Senate subcommittee, where are you located? They, they replied, we have not reached, we have reached a determination that we're not located in Ireland. We have not reached a determination as to where we are located. Now, this is just, just nonsense. This doesn't make sense at all. And I think the permanent uh, residence thing could have been tackled much more, much more vigorously. And I, I think one of the problems is that the OECD, what comes out of the OECD is to be the lowest common denominator because they're, they're, they're pulling in different ways. Some countries have a vested interest in one tax regime compared with another tax regime. And of course, the US has in many ways the, the most to lose. I think from a point of view of Ireland, what the Commission are doing is much more significant and the Commission uh, cases, um, taking uh, cases against various European countries, including Ireland in relation to Apple, is much more significant because the Commission is saying that we, we will not allow uh, tax incentives that are discriminatory between within a country, between large enterprises and small enterprises and also between countries. And I think that could be much more significant in uh, introducing real changes in the corporate tax system uh, within the European Union. Okay, gentlemen, we leave it there. Jim Stewart, Colin Keenan, thank you for joining us. We'll take a short break now and we'll return with uh, an analysis of Pfizer's decision to pull the plug on its $160 billion inversion with Dublin base Allegan. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. Welcome back. Now, on Tuesday night, US drug giant Pfizer indicated that it could call off its planned $160 billion takeover of Dublin-based Allergan. The so-called corporate inversion would have led to Pfizer's relocation to Ireland, but it incurred the wrath of President Barack Obama, who announced plans to crack down on cross-border tax savings deals. Jim Stewart remains with us in studio, and I'm also joined to discuss this topic by the Irish Times Deputy Business Editor, Dominic Coyle, and on the phone by our Washington, D.C. correspondent, Simon Carswell. Simon, we might start with you. You had the story uh, on Tuesday night that uh, Pfizer was planning to pull the plug on this deal with Allergan. Uh, they've announced it today that, that that's their intention. Give us the backdrop to this. Well, the markets really saw it coming when the US Treasury Department and the IRS uh, acting on behalf of the Obama administration decided to introduce new rules curbing uh, corporate inversions, which would limit the number of these transactions that could take place. This was the third round of actions that the Obama administration has taken against something that rather irks President Obama, uh, this uh, move by US multinationals, which is largely paper-based moves where they merge with smaller entities, m- most of them in 
Ireland when it comes to the pharmaceutical sector and a shifter tax address to Ireland to avoid the higher US tax rate of 35%, which is the highest rate, amongst the highest rate in the developed world, and benefit from the 12.5% Irish rate. So it was really on the cards and the, the, the new rules that were introduced on Monday by the Treasury were very much targeted at the pfizer Allegan transaction. Uh, one of the rules that was introduced was that it was going to limit the number of previous inversions that would be allowed uh, really to block any future inversions. So that made, that took away, really, really took away the economic benefit from the pfizer Allegan merger and the markets had priced it in. Uh, shares in Allegan plummeted on Tuesday after the new rules were announced. Right, okay. And what's been the investor reaction um, to the deal and what are the implications for Pfizer? Well, the implications for Pfizer are that it, it was going to be a major tax-saving uh, move by Pfizer. Pfizer's competing with a lot of European pharmaceuticals, pharmaceutical companies who have a much lower tax rate, and all these companies now operate on a on a worldwide uh, platform. So uh, tax is regarded as an overhead, much like your staff costs are. So they were looking to reduce that. Uh, and there have been a series of uh, corporate inversions involving pharmaceutical companies over the past three years. Indeed, Allergan was itself is an amalgam of previous corporate tax inversions. So the Obama administration saw this coming and they changed the rules to really prevent this this deal from taking place. Yeah. Jim Stewart, what is a corporate inversion and why is Barack Obama so opposed to them? A corporate inversion is a way of changing a country's domicile so that, for example, in the case of Pfizer, it would no longer be domiciled in the US, it would be domiciled in Ireland. And the implications of that, it would be no longer subject to US taxes, it would be subject to Irish taxes. And this is arranged by, uh, by taking, uh, being, being taken over by another company that's already uh, located in Ireland. And there are various rules around this, but basically what the Obama administration decided that for certain purposes, point of this merger, we're going to disregard a lot of your assets. So you're now too small to take over Pfizer. You cannot benefit from these tax. You will still be subject to US tax because the, the, the company that's being taken over is too small. So you'll still be largely a US company. Right. Uh, Dominic Coyle, these inversions uh, bring a, a certain cachet in some respects, I suppose. You know, having Pfizer uh, being an Irish-based company brings a certain cachet, but it brings very little benefit for the exchequer. Am I right in saying that? It does, and I'm not too sure it even brings much cachet. I mean, uh, Minister for Enterprise Richard uh, Bruton has been on record twice in, in recent years saying this is not a business we're chasing, this is not good for us. In fact, it even costs us, he would say. Uh, Tisha Gendekenny, acting Tisha Gendekenny, has said the same on a visit to the United States in, in last year. So it, it, it's not something that brings any money into the exchequer. It certainly makes life more difficult for, for political Ireland and indeed the IDA when they're in the States and trying to impress upon Capitol Hill that we're not in the, the business of harming them, but we're working with them at the same time as looking for foreign direct investment. Yeah. Uh, and what about the implications for Allegan? Um, I mean, it's a, a product of inversions itself. Um, but it's been jilted at the altar by Pfizer. So, uh, you know, where to from here? It it has. Um, it's already put out a statement saying that uh, that's, this wasn't plan A, but they're more than happy to, to continue as a standalone business. They have 70 plus um, products going through the late stage pipeline, they say. But you're right. I mean, you know, getting jilted at the altar doesn't matter who you are. It's never good because it means investors know you were looking to, to tie up and now all of a sudden you're not going to do so. And um, so it will make life difficult for them in the short term. After all the inversions that they've had and all the company acquisitions they've had in recent years, one could argue that it might indeed be time for Allegan to bed down what the business they've got 
Uh, it's it's a business that's an amalgam of about ten or twelve different businesses over the last five to six years. Uh, there there certainly uh, could be an argument that that they could just de- deal with their yeah, own business now. One of them was the Irish company Warner Chilcot, isn't that right? That, that's right. Which had been Galen. Galen uh, took over Warner Chilcot and renamed themselves Warner Chilcot. And then activists took over Warner Chilcot, and then they took over Allegan. Activists and Allegan were mm. both Irish and renamed themselves Allegan. So it's confusing. And, and Dominic, I think you met uh, Eli Lilly, Chief Executive John Lechleiter, earlier um, this week. Uh, I think that was probably in advance of Pfizer um, uh, canning the uh, deal with Allegan. But what was his take on, on inversions and you know, the future of them, especially with the new rules introduced by Obama? Well, Lily, Eli Lilly, John Lechleder's company has always been, been quite uh, quite individual in the sense it, it does not, has never had any interest in inversions. It's never any real interest in big name M&As. However, it's not massively in favour of, of uh, executive action to close uh, close loopholes in tax law. However, John was of the view that despite the, the, the great uh, diver- disparity between the two parties in Washington, the next administration would probably reach a consensus on the two basic core issues. There now seems to be a consensus that, yes, the headline rate needs to come down from 35% towards something something closer to the mid-20s uh, in order to compete with, with what's elsewhere. Also, at the moment, America taxes U.S. companies on their worldwide income. That's been a particular bone of contention. That's why inversions happen. Even under inversions, Pfizer will still be taxing the U.S. on what they earn in the U.S. The issue is what happens to the money they earn outside the U.S., there seems to be agreement that, that the future will be that they will have to be taxed in the U.S. on their U.S. income, but that there will be, under OECD BEPS or otherwise, income earned elsewhere will be taxed at rates prevalent elsewhere in those countries. Does this have any implications, Dominic, for the Pfizer operation in Ireland, do you think? No, it doesn't. Pfizer employs 3,200 people here at the moment. Uh, there's nothing to suggest that this this decision will will mean anything directly for them. It's clearly, Pfizer has argued. Ian Reid has argued, the Pfizer chief executive, that it's been asked to operate with one hand tied it's behind its back because of U.S. tax laws. If Pfizer can't do this deal and lower its costs, as Simon said, lower its overheads, it will have to look at either trying to grow revenue or lower overheads in another way. That could lead it to sell off parts of its business, spin off. Let's talk about spinning off their generics businesses or whatever. That could, down the line, have have impacts in Ireland, but. For now, there's no direct impact. Uh, Jim Stewart, will inversion simply be replaced by some other corporate construct now that the Obama administration has I mean, cracked they down? Could, they could be, but uh, can I just say one of the problems with mm. inversions, it's a tax-driven strategy, and that's not good for companies. It's not good for Ireland because it's promised, Ireland becomes part of a tax haven. But just going to pick up just, just something that was said there, I think the Obama administration had proposed lowering the tax rate in the US, the nominal tax rate, but they're also going to put a lower tax on all earnings, all earnings outside the US, so that there wouldn't be this this concept of earnings that were permanently invested abroad, Mm -hmm. which were not subject to US tax. And the other thing to remember is that the effective tax rate in the US is nowhere near 35%. I don't know of a single company paying anything like 35%. It's more like 17 or 18%. And, And the further point is that it's possible for US companies to repatriate profits to the US without paying any tax or minimal tax. And Pfizer in their annual report and the accounts, not the IBM I think in their annual report and accounts, I beg your pardon, they state we repatriate profits to the US 
when it's tax beneficial for us to do so. So, in fact, there's, there are people have argued that, look, this thing about uh, being taxed in the US, that's just a bit of a red herring. What you really want, the corporate sector really wants is, let's get, we want to get rid of our tax. We don't like paying any tax. We want to, the ideal situation is to have a low tax or zero tax. And that's what's in our interests and in the interests of the US, they would argue. Okay, Simon, where do the presidential hopefuls uh, stand on these inversions, the likes of Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders? Well, what's interesting about uh, the different uh, political parties on this issue is is that there's they're in agreement uh, in a rare kind of moment of common uh, common agreement between Donald Trump and President Obama. They both agree that inversions are wrong. It's just the differences lie between uh, Democrats and Republicans about how to go about fixing it. Democrats want uh, yes, they agree that tax rates should be lowered, perhaps not as far as Republicans want them lowered, but they want all tax loopholes that benefit big companies and and rich individuals to be brought on the table. Um, And certainly the Republicans want uh, over an overhaul of the tax uh, code in the US, but they're fearful that if they go on a piecemeal approach, it'll encourage more corporate inversion. So they really disagree with the manner in how to go about fixing this problem, although they accept that there is a problem. Uh, And I don't know, I've been at countless rallies and heard Donald Trump speak at countless events where he's mentioned the fact that Pfizer were moving to Ireland. And he spoke again this week saying it was disgraceful and promising that he would fix it if he was president. And and similarly, President Obama has expressed frustration, notably this week in his press conference yesterday um, where he attacked these companies for taking all the benefits of being American companies but unwilling to pay American taxes. Uh, And he has in the past singled out Ireland where he has criticised US companies for magically becoming Irish companies through these mergers overnight. So this is something that there is agreement between Republicans and Democrats on, but trying to find a means to go about fixing the problem is the issue. Dominic, there's a, another sting to tell, if you like, for, for Pfizer. Not only is this deal that they were planning their future around gone um, to satisfy the demands of uh, of the White House, but there's also going to be a large bill to pay, isn't there? I mean, there's a $400 million break fee uh, included in the deal. Presumably, there's millions and millions of fees for corporate advisors uh, involved here. You know, share prices have uh, have been hit, etc. Is there the potential for a, a, a backlash, an investor backlash against the Pfizer management team? There'll certainly be some questions for Pfizer because uh, they've, they've been trying to engineer an inversion for, for many years now. Um, Allegan hasn't been their first target. In fact, it was probably the last remaining target that, that they could probably have organised. Um, so, yes, there will be issues. There will certainly be costs and, and questions. There is a $400 million, uh, charge to pay. Having said that, Allegan has lost about $300 million in market cap in the last uh, 48 hours. Um, and it is interesting to note that for all the fact this has been an argument about general corporate inversions, there is another corporate inversion going on in relation to Ireland at the moment. And I don't think that's going to be impacted by these latest rules. These latest rules, as I understand it, have been very specifically targeted to stop the Pfizer deal. That's the one that was causing the huge political brouhaha in the States in the presidential year. Mm. And that was the one they want to stop immediately. Longer term, yes, they want to stop corporate inversions. But the, the construct of the new rules was particularly put together to stop Allergan being in a position to take over okay. You're talking about the $16 billion merger between Johnson Controls, a US maker of car batteries and Cork-based Tyco International. Indeed. As I understand it, that may well still be in a position to, to go ahead. It, it's not the only corporate inversion going on at the moment, but it is the only other one involving Ireland. And neither company has yet come out to say what how they're going to uh, approach it. But I don't believe they will be forced to abandon it because of these rules. What is interesting is that part of Pfizer's reported reason for, for backing out 
is that they thought even if they could get around these rules, it was now clear that the administration was going to keep adjusting the rules until they stopped this deal. OK, all right, we'll see how that plays out. And that's it from the Irish Times Business Podcast for this week. My thanks to Colm Keena, Jim Stewart, Simon Carswell and Dominic Coyle. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times Business on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. 